0: Hebrews 2020, continued in 2021, we see Jesus, and this is increment 106, and today, Father, we pray that the exposition of your word will give light and give understanding to the naive. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 4.12 segues smoothly into Hebrews 4.13. Let me read them back to back with a modicum of commentary. Indeed, the word of God is currently living and active and sharper than every double-edged blade, even penetrating as far as a separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, which we clarified being nerve fibers, and myelin in a neurological interpretation. So once again, indeed the Word of God is currently living and active and sharper than every double-edged blade, even penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, nerve fibers, and myelin. And it's able to judge the deliberations and determinations of the heart, the heart being the intentional, rational, human consciousness, especially on the fourth and fifth levels, and is a critical assessor of the deliberations and determinations of the heart. perhaps better than judge, is a critical assessor. Let's look at this again. We're changing it as we go. Indeed, the Word of God is currently living and active and sharper than every double-edged blade, even penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, myelin and nerve fibers, and it's able to critically assess the deliberations and determinations of the heart. Verse 13, for there is no created being who isn't naked and completely exposed to the eyes of him to whom we are accountable. Now creation here is universally considered, as this word is kathesis, actually, K-T-I-S-I-S, thesis Creature or creation, it can be universally considered, as in Ephesians 3.9, in connection with Ephesians 1.10. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1.3, Who created all things, notice that in Ephesians 3 9, who created all things is the same God who intends to sum up all things in Christ. Said another way, let me say it another way God who created all things will complete his creation by summing up all things redemptively in Christ. So creation is still in the making in one sense. Creature is another word that catesis is sometimes translated as. Creature. It simply means created being as opposed to the uncreated God. But creature in Hebrews 4.13 means what has been created very simply. Ctesis. If any person is in Christ, there's the new kitesis, a new creation. In Romans 125, the worship of that which is created is the essence of idolatry. The worship of that which is created in many cultures has been substituted for worship of the Creator. Created beings include creatures like those on earth, above the earth, and under the earth, or in the sea. Revelation 8-9 compared with Revelation five thirteen, All kinds of creatures. The word katesis as referring to the result of God's initial creative act is pictured as, metaphorically speaking, in a personification, eagerly anticipating the act of divine redemption, which will complete it and which will liberate creation, all of creation, the universal creation from its temporary condition of slavery to corruption, which I think is analogous to the scientific cosmological term entropy ENTROPY. So Catesis can refer to the universal creation and all of its parts and components in its entirety. The apocalypse of the sons of God is what creation is waiting for. The revelation of the sons of God. You can read all about this in Romans eight nineteen to 23. The universal creation is waiting for the apocalypse of the sons of God in glory, which is coetaneous with the redemption of the body, which occurs at the resurrection as the Old English would say, to wit, the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8.23 can be compared with Ephesians 4.30. The Holy Spirit has sealed us until the day of redemption. That's the redemption of the human body. When the human body is redeemed, then the sons of God will be apocalyptically revealed in a very good apocalypse, an apocalypse of divine mercy and creativity, and grace. That's what all of the material creation is waiting for because that signals all of creation's liberation from entropy, from the seemingly impossibly impossible to avoid, let's say, tendency toward death and utter demolition or decay. So creation as the subject in Romans 8:19 to 23 and also in Philippians 2:10 where it talks about every knee and every tongue of things under the earth above the earth and on the earth and in Revelation 5:13 adds under the sea, etc. Catesis can refer to that totality of created reality. Creation, the subject of Romans 8:19 to23, also Philippians 2:10 and Revelation 5:13, therefore means everything that exists over the course of all time that is not God, all of created being. I noticed that in the apocryphal book called Judith, Judith, the heroine of that book, rightly referred to God, to whom she prayed as, quote, king of all your creation. And I like that verse because it kind of goes into our theme of 2021, the theme of the great king, the year of the great king. She called him the king of all your creation. Speaking to God, Judith, 9:12 Now I'm not quoting the Bible here, but an apocryphal book. Judith was on target in her hymn of praise to God as she sang this. Let all your creatures serve you. For you spoke and they were made. You sent forth your spirit and it formed them. There is none that can resist your voice. Judith, sixteen fourteen. These are both found in the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. They can also be found in the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. But on top of this, I also looked at Third Maccabees, two two, where this prayer was recorded: Lord, Lord, King of the heavens, and Sovereign of all creation. Holy among the holy ones, the only ruler, Almighty, give attention to us who are suffering grievously from an impious or impious and profane man, puffed up in his audacity and power. That's quite a prayer. Lord, Lord, King of the heavens. And sovereign of all creation, holy among the holy ones, the only ruler almighty, give attention to us who are suffering grievously from an impious and profane man, puffed up in his audacity and power. Now that applied to a king, a Grecian king, whom the Maccabees fought against, ultimately, Antiochus Epiphanes. It, of course, applies to Nero, whose number was 666 and was called the Beast. It applies to dictators throughout history and to dictators in modern history and in even current time. Dictators. Catesis in some contexts, can refer even to a human institution or a social structure say how does that square with the bible well it's in 1 peter 2:13 human institutions or social structures are called katesis. they can be called creation or lunita l o u w n i d a two authors of the lexicon called Lunita, say that it can even be translated as authority, such as might be applied to the authority of the Caesar, for example, or the authority of the high priest under the Aaronic order and the Sanhedrin in the Second Temple Epic. It can refer to any human governmental institution It's possible, even probable, that this is what Paul referred to in his description of any other Catesis or any other creature in his catalog of beings that he said are powerless to sever the saints from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.39 Human institutions, governmental institutions, social structures may be designed to try to sever you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, but they will ultimately fail in doing so. Human institutions can be in sequacious submission to invisible principalities and powers, or they can be relatively free and safely directed and guided by divinely established laws like those that can be identified in the US Constitution for example and these hold national state and local authorities as well as all citizens accountable in a system where freedom is carefully balanced with responsibility right now those kind of that kind of freedom as well as that kind of responsibility are under dire threat in the United States of America and elsewhere, no doubt. Finally, ketesis, K T I S I S, can refer to the new creation where it's called kine ketesis, e kine (kathesis) new creation, and it can be kine en en christo, e-n-c-h-r-i-s-t-o. The new creation in Christ Jesus, we can also compare that to Galatians 6.15. This creation, the new creation, will only be complete when all of created reality is fully and finally summed up in Christ Jesus, and when Christ comprises all of created reality. So it's now completely apparent that this final creation, which was called the new creation of all things, in Revelation 21, 5. It is now, I think, completely apparent that this final creation is a result of, and even the product of, the universal redemptive impact of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. That which we'll keep calling Instauration. I N S T A U R A T I O N. Now Jesus is rightly called the firstborn of all creation in Colossians 1.15. In Hebrews 1.6, he is God's firstborn who is brought forth by God into future world where all God's angels worship him. In Colossians 1.18 and Revelation 1.5, Jesus is called the firstborn of the dead in agreement with Hebrews 13.20 where it is said that our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, was brought up from the dead by the God of peace. Now by Gezereshawa, the God of peace in Hebrews 13.20 finds a connection with the peace that God made by the blood of Christ's cross in Colossians one twenty, the God of peace in Hebrews 13.20 has a second connection to the reconciliation of all things, which is the universal impact of the cross of Christ in Colossians one twenty, The blood of the everlasting covenant in Hebrews 13.20, and the blood of the cross in Colossians 1.20 constitute a third connection. You can have all kinds of fun, in other words, comparing Colossians 1.20 with Hebrews 13.20 and then fanning out from there. The blood groove, as I call it, runs almost the entire length of the blade of the Word of God. The final redemptive work of God in Christ, of course, is the reconciliation of the universe to himself on the cross. That act is complete. Tetelestai, John nineteen thirty, But it's an act that has yet to be fully and universally manifested. So, God's final creation when it's all finished will be the universal redemptive restorative rectifying impact of the cross of Christ i've said this before the cross of Christ is god's tool in making the new universe Throughout the scriptures, God is revealed to be the creator. Now, I'm teaching this in a way that isn't entirely clear, but will become more and more clear. It's what I call the dropping of the lenses. At first, it's not so clear, then clearer, then clearer, then clearer. Throughout the scriptures, God is revealed to be the creator. All of creation is revealed to be the product of, First, of his creative power, and second, of his redemptive action in Christ Jesus, and by the Spirit of grace. The biblical view of creation is congruent and congenial with the theory of vertical causality. in which all things exist by the will, the intention, and the power of a being, capital B, who transcends all created reality and who is reality, both transcendent, which is above the creation, and we could say also underneath it, and he's also, that being is also imminent, I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T which means at work within creation. The very fact that a human being is a rational and intentional being is not divorced from the idea of a rational and intentional creator. As we saw before, faith and reason are quite compatible, contrary to the opinion of some so-called academics on the other hand a scientism now I'm not attacking science per se but scientism which makes science everything essentially and even idolizes science a scientism that refuses to acknowledge a creator can neither be considered reasonable or intelligent. Such a scientism would have a reputation of being wise, but that reputation is only what it gave itself. We used to say of people that were walking around and kind of inflated and self inflated and self important. Well, he or she is a legend in his own mind or in her own mind. And usually people who are legends in their own mind have a lot of sycophants that travel around and follow them in sequacious mental slavery. And so Romans talks about those who profess to be wise but are fools. You know the whole story. Mere scientism which denies a realm of hoped-for things and things unseen and yet testified to by the word of God. A scientism that would actually rule out a realm that can't be observed or the possibility of the existence of a realm that can't be observed. is wise in its own eyes maybe and in the estimation of naive admirers who lack understanding that comes from an exposition of the Word of God professing to be wise and attributed with wisdom by the unwise such purveyors of godless scientism will be shown to be fools If not in this life, certainly in the eschaton, in the telos, in the end. As Pannenberg said, and I think Pannenberg's principle is worth and bears repetition. The eschatological perfecting of the world for participation in the glory of God will will also show how wrong is unbelief with its doubting of God's existence. For it will prove the love of the Creator for his creatures. It won't be like God saying, ha ha, I exist, you idiot, you didn't believe in me. It's more like, look how much I've loved you. And there will be a moment of recognition, of course, by doubters, not too unlike Thomas, who said, my Lord and my God. And then you might hear something like this from Jesus, our Lord and our God. Well, now you believe. I can even see him Entertaining a little bit of humorous laughter there. So now, now you believe. Well, blessed are these over here who believed without seeing, without observation. What's being brought back into focus here, and I say back into focus because we've entertained this before, is God as creator and redeemer of all of his creation. As ultimately, creation is the result and product of God's creative and redemptive action. All right, we see creation right now apart from Redemption. We don't see creation redeemed. We see creation, but we don't see creation redeemed. The only way to see creation redeemed is through the lenses of the Holy Spirit and the Scripture who presents to us a vision like Revelation chapters 21 and 22. You'd think people would pay attention to that vision more than the television. But we don't. That which we observe of celestial immensity through highly developed telescopes and that which we may perceive of the infinitesimal, the infinitesimally small with sophisticated microscopes is all comprehended in a single glance as it were by the creator of all things. What we see of creation in its present state is the product of the Creator, albeit profoundly affected by sin. Sin is another unacknowledged notion by scientism, which is evidently ignorant of the science of homarchaeology, which is a branch of biblical theology. The effect of sin, capital S-I-N, in the universe is that which is known as entropy in cosmology or in the study of the scientific study of cosmology, as well as the biblical. Entropy, which is the inevitable movement of all things to death. And death happens to be the effect of sin, according to the Bible in Romans 6.23. It's the wages of sin. Now, if the universe is in a movement, an inevitable movement toward death, then what is that? what causes that inevitable movement? Well, it's the presence of something in the cosmos called sin. Now listen carefully to this. What we don't see, except through the incomparably sophisticated lenses of the Scripture and the Spirit, in Revelation 21 and 22, for example, Is creation apart from the sin that has subjected it to corruptibility and ultimately to death? I've always said, if creation is beautiful as it is, how much more stunningly beautiful and glorious will it be when that which makes it enslaved to corruption is removed utterly and totally? and god transfigures the creation and transconfigures the bodies of all human beings over the course of all time when john saw jesus john the baptizer the immerser he said this look There's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the cosmos. He will ultimately take away that principle that leads to the entropy of the universe. Sin. Ultimately, the immerser John the Dunker, as we could call him, was speaking of more than the removal of sin from humankind, although that's going to be true too. He was speaking of the elimination of sin from the created universe and therefore of the completion of creation by an act of redemption, an act of of the Lamb of God, an act of Jesus. We see Jesus taking away the sin of the world as God's Lamb. Consider once again, and this isn't just territory to be recovered, this is something we have to consider again and again here, that in Genesis 2-2, it says that God rested from all the works he had made. And that in two three of Genesis, it says, God rested from all his works which he had begun to make. So the Septuagint captures this nuance in the Greek text, which is what the writer uses in the eschatological homily we call Hebrews. Exclusively. The Septuagint captures the nuance. The implication is that God was yet to complete His creation. This He would do, and on another level has done, through Jesus Christ, who from the cross said, Finish. Which is very much related to the theme of Hebrews regarding completion. What is this? Quits it. This is cosmology. Not cosmetology, the study of makeup. Cosmology. The cosmology of Hebrews. When I first introduced Hebrews and my intention to study it, I I called it a theological exegesis of Hebrews. Well, this is a branch of theology called cosmology. It's the cosmology of Hebrews. It has to do with the branch of science of theology called cosmology. And theology is a science. This is cosmology in a theological exegesis of the eschatological, Christological homily called Hebrews. A major thesis of biblical cosmology is this. Here's another thesis, T-H-E-S-I-S. Creation should be understood in the light of redemption. The Redeemer is no other than the Creator. I know that my Redeemer lives, and in my flesh I will see Him on the earth, standing on the earth. In my flesh I will see Him. Job 19.26 The Redeemer is no other than the Creator. Now what we looked at before, katapasis or katapasis, referring to God's rest, is a synonym for his ultimately being all in all. Now God rested when he finished the beginning of his works, which kind of implies that he was only taking a break. So now he's working again. We see him working again in John 5. We see him again working in Luke 14. We see Jesus healing people on a Sabbath day. And he explains it by saying, My father's still working. My father's working. And so I'm working. My father and I are working. On a Sabbath, yes. Why? Because creation isn't completed except through acts of redemption. We'll look at it from a slightly different angle in a moment. I'm going to drop another lens from John 5. In the Alamo here, I was looking at some of our past series, we've actually completed the whole study of John right here in the Alamo, the fourth G. I didn't know that. I thought, we were, I, thought I began it way back in what we called the farm. So we came to Hebrews via John via Revelation, via, better call, Paul, via Romans, and even via Ephesians, our first study of Ephesians. So once again, the work of creation is only finished when the work of redemption is finished. The work of redemption is finished, is finished. Tetelestai. But its ultimate manifestation is yet to be realized in a universal new creation. So let's consider that again because it's cited in Hebrews 4.4. 4, Genesis 2, 2 and 3, my translation of the Septuagint. And on the sixth day, God completed... Notice the word completed, the works that he had made. And on the seventh day he rested, katapausen, from all his works that he had made. Verse 3 And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because on that day he rested, katapausen, from all his works that God had begun to make. Please notice, and don't let this slip past your notice, that in Genesis 2.2 it says God rested from all the works that he had made, but that in 2.3 it says God rested from all the works which he had begun to make. Now, I know many of you have already grasped this and are holding on to this reality. And it's the septuagint that captures the nuance once again, let me repeat, the implication is that God was yet to complete his creation, and this he would do, and in another sense has done, through Jesus Christ, who from the cross said, finished. Tetelestai. Now, after Jesus had healed the man at the pool of Bethesda on the Sabbath day. Jesus' critics began persecuting Jesus because he kept doing things like that on the Sabbath. In Mark 3, there's a man with a withered hand and stood in the middle of the synagogue on a Sabbath and Jesus told him to extend his hand and he restored the hand. Well, what is that a picture of? And Jesus was Angry with the hardness of heart of the churchgoers there who thought he was doing the wrong thing by working on the Sabbath by healing a man. Same thing, Luke 14, same thing, John 5, 16. In John 5.16, they began persecuting, harassing Jesus because he healed that man who was 38 years laid up and waiting for an angel to stir the waters in a superstition so that he could climb in and get a healing. But after 38 years, Jesus healed him. So, of course, religious people got mad at him. Back then, you got canceled for doing a good thing. Oh, wait a minute. That sounds like today. In John 5, 17, Jesus replied, My father is working. It's a Sabbath day. My father's working on a Sabbath day. My father is working until now, and I'm working also. Oh how shocking. It's Sabbath day. We're supposed to refrain from work on a Sabbath day under penalty of death. And in fact in John 5:18 what does it say? They intended to kill him. They didn't understand that creation is still in progress through works of redemption, healing, restoration. So in John 5:17 and this gives this verse context, my father is working until now and I'm working also. This remarkable reply illustrates something quite significant. Namely that God was working to complete his acts of creation by acts of restoration. This was also illustrated to be the case in Acts chapter 3. Read that throughout sometime and get your own insights. Let your own insights come into your mind. In Acts 3, a man received healing at the beautiful gate in Jerusalem in the name of Jesus of Nazareth through Peter he was healed through Peter in the name of Jesus of Nazareth now this healing this miraculous event led to a crowd forming and to Peter's explanation that the restoration of this man to health and wholeness and joy unspeakable and praise was a forecast of the restoration of all things in Acts 3:21. a restoration that would be brought about completely when Jesus returned from heaven. So Jesus did works on the Sabbath day. Because he is one with the Father. He said, If you don't believe me for the word's sake, believe me because of my works. I and the Father are one in doing these works John ten thirty thirty eight. His Father was also working. The Father and the Son are working on Sabbath days because there remains a Sabbath when God is all in all when the work of creation is completed by a work of restoration. So once again, this goes back to Genesis 2, 2, and 3, which is alluded to in Hebrews 4, 4. Genesis 2, 2 is partially quoted there. I'm going to say it again and read it again. Genesis 2, 2. And on the sixth day, God completed the works that he had made. On the seventh day, he rested from all his works that he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because on that day, he rested from all his works that God had begun to make. So I want to close today by making this assertion. The big thought that we want to hold on to as we keep moving in our exegesis of Hebrews is that God's universal creation is to be a finished product of his creative and his redemptive acts. The clay vase created by the potter in Jeremiah 18 was not merely the result of his creative act, the creative act of the potter but an act of restoration on that which had become flawed. A restoration act which brought something more serviceable, more useful, more glorious than the original. In Genesis 1, 1 1-2 and then onward, we are told of a creation that had become void and without form and we see God restore it. So now we've seen at least 12 biblical terms that refer to the completion of God's creation by acts of redemption. The central act and the indispensable act being the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. For once, at the junction of the ages, he appeared to put away sin by the offering of himself. Sin from humanity, taking unrighteousness from Jacob, sin from Adam, from all the people in Adam, and even sin as a principle and an operative destructive power leading to death, taking that right out of the universe. So we'll close with Hebrews four twelve and 13. We are in a verse-by-verse trend here. Indeed, the word of God is currently living and active and sharper than every double-edged blade, even penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit and the sheath around nerves and the nerve fibers themselves. And it's able to judge the deliberations and intentions or deliberations and determinations of the heart, the rational, intentional consciousness of man. For there is no created being. What's the flip side of no created being? Every created being. For there is no created being who isn't naked and completely exposed to the eyes of him to whom we are accountable. The converse of that is this. For every created being is naked and completely exposed to the eyes of him to whom we are accountable. Now here's a hint of things to come. Adam and the woman, Ishah, were naked and not ashamed. Their shame only came after the fall, at which time they tried to cover their nakedness with things of their own manufacture, garments made of fig leaves, The first man Adam naked and open to the eyes of God and not ashamed the second man Adam Jesus on the cross despising the shame meaning unashamed and naked before God before the eyes of all creation the first man Adam naked and unashamed the second man Second, final Adam, naked and despising the shame. In that act, naked and despising the shame, Jesus endured the ordeal of the cross in order to give birth to a new creation and restoration and redemption and reconciliation of all things in the heavens and on earth. And we are accountable to him. And we will all give an account to God. So our freedom is matched and balanced by being responsible. Most of all, responsible to hear his word and to enter into rest. And we thank you, Father, for yet another moment in which we pause in this life and rest from our own creative works and receive your redemptive word we thank you father for your kindness toward us in Christ Jesus that will be manifest not only for the rest of our lives for goodness and mercy shall follow us but also forever when in the ages after ages that follow after page like page after page you will manifest toward us your grace, and your kindness that you've shown us in Christ Jesus. This is the future we anticipate. This is the future that our faith looks forward to and is assured of. And may this faith become a hope that anchors our souls in these times in which so many things seem to be in flux and going through change. We thank you for your changeless word that changes us from the innermost being out and again I pray if any among us has fallen please pick them up father lift them up if any among us is ready to fall keep them from falling and to you father who keep us from falling and who will present us before your throne with exceeding joy we give thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.